This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad that you're with us. Um, let me just do one thing real quick before we dive into the series. You know, w- next week, um, one of the things that we love to do it, uh, here at Coastal is we've been really big in outreach, as Pastor Terry was talking about. Man, we'd love to go out and do things like a Black Friday. We go out and hang out at Best Buy and uh, Toys R Us and stuff, and there'll be thousands of people out there buying stuff that they don't need for people they don't like. And all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, and we just go out there and love on them. But one of the other things that we've done is we've taken a community like Collier City um, that, that's uh, just not like the best community. And we've adopted them and we've adopted blocks and different things. And uh, this year we want to provide Christmas to uh, that community, especially to the kids that are not going to have Christmas. And so over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see some boxes in the lobby, uh, in the lobby and in, out front. Uh, and they're going to be individualized for kids that we've built relationships there. And uh, so far, we, we have like 70-something kids that we, we know personally that we've been in, in relationship with as we've been do, going home to home and just helping people, loving on people. And we want to provide an awesome Christmas for them. And so, man, as your pastor, as somebody that's going to participate, man, I want you guys to be praying and thinking about, man, how can we do something for the least of these? How can we do something to bless some families this holiday season? It's a great opportunity for us to do that. And uh, I just, I'm just kind of making you aware of it so you can start putting it in the back of your mind as y'all are starting to shop because I was talking to a lady who was like, man, I already got my shopping done. I was like, you are crazy. I don't even know how you do that. So uh, anyways, hey, we're in this series called The Vow. We started this a couple weeks ago. And um, you know, how many of you guys know that when, when you're getting married, especially if you're married, um, usually you marry somebody pretty opposite of you. Anybody out there marry somebody that's like completely opposite of you? A couple of y'all. Yeah, most of us, if, if you're married, you marry somebody that's completely different because opposites attract, right? I mean, that's how it works. You see that they're opposite of you. They, they have all the qualities that you want. You have all the qualities that they want that they feel, you know, insecure about. And so they, they attract. But how many of y'all know that the, that opposite thing that attracts you also makes y'all end up attacking one another? You know what I'm saying? I mean, because they got all the things that you don't like about things as well. Uh, for some reason, they have all those idiosyncrasies that don't seem to, to go along the same flow that you have in your life. I know that that's true for Shayla and I. You know, Shayla and I, we have a lot of things that are in common, and I'm so glad that she's not in this service because last service, she was giving me like the evil eye the whole time. So I had to look over. She was sitting right there where Pastor Wayne is. And so I had to look over here at like Mark, the entire service. And, and I mean, Mark's a good looking guy, but I like to scan the crowd a little bit. Uh, but I wasn't allowed to look over there because you know, we're very, very different in some certain things. Like she's pretty black and white and I'm pretty free flowing about things, but I've got this thing with time. Time is so important to me. And like, if you are five minutes early, you're late. Anybody else like that? Like you're just kind of anal about that. God, I mean, you're watching the clock continuously. You're like, oh my goodness. And so when we got married, you know, Shayla didn't really care that much about time. And so like, if she arrived the day that we were supposed to do something, she was good with that. She was like, yeah, I'm it, you know, and I'm like, sweetheart, you know, and it was, it was driving me insane. And so I started kind of lying to her about the time that we were supposed to get places. So if we were supposed to be there at like 1230, I was telling her like, hey, babe, we got to be there at 1130. And, uh, and I would do the, I would do the most annoying things. And it was probably not the right thing, but like, we'd be 45 minutes out and I'd start the countdown. I'd be like, babe, 45 minutes. Every five minutes, babe, 40 minutes. We got 40 minutes to be there. Babe, we got, we got 35 minutes. 
babe, we got 20 minutes. And I would just like, I had to be the most annoying guy in the world. And, 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 and she would get so frustrated with me and, and I would get frustrated with her. So what I would do is I'd go downstairs and get in the car and I would pull it out and back it back in so that we were like ready to go as soon as she got in it. And, and every minute that she was late, I would just start honking the horn. One time, beep, for every minute. You're one minute late, beep, two minutes, beep. Three minutes, beep. And I mean, I know it's kind of messed up and disrespectful and rude, but you know, I like time, man. It's important to be on, to be on time. In fact, I, I really learned how, how opposite we are because one time she was so late, like I'd done like 10 beeps, like she was 10 minutes late. That was really bad. And so, uh, man, I just left her. I know, I know. I don't know what I was thinking that day. I've been sleeping on the couch ever since. It's horrible. Um, I found out that day that the opposites really do attack, especially when you leave that at home. Anyways, uh, I don't know why I just told that story, but um, when you get opposites together, man, you get some tension in relationships, don't you? There is some tension that happens. There's some, there's some things that happen in life. And, and uh, we, we think that the, everything about a relationship, man, is going to do some awesome things for our lives. How many of you guys remember the movie Jerry Maguire? Everybody out there? Everybody's pretty much seen the movie. There's three like key lines in Jerry Maguire. You know what they are? Show me the what? Show me the money! And then do the dance, you know, thing and all that stuff. And I, I don't know how to do that. And so, and then there's another one um, that, that most people know. And, and you had me at, hello, yeah, hello. You know, I mean, it was, it's awesome. And then there's the third one that ends, you blank me, you complete me. Oh, that's the chick one right there. That one, you complete me. Uh, you know, and some, some of you, you know, you probably thinking in your mind, no, no, they deplete me. They deplete me. They don't complete me because there's this tension in relationships that is always there and it's, it's, it's always happening in our lives. And God uses the opposites to attract but, and he brings us together but there's always something about them that, that they have that we don't have that comes together that just makes this amazing, amazing union. But the, the enemy, our spiritual enemy wants to come in and he wants to use the things that are opposite, the things that, are, the things that we don't like about us to come in and cause distraction, to cause tension in our relationships, to cause us to to push away from one another. And what I want to do today is I just kind of want to review uh, a couple of the things that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, the, a couple of the vows, and then we're going to talk about the vow that we're going to talk about today. And the, and the first week we talked about this, the, the first vow, and that was this, I promise that God will be my number one and my spouse will be my number two. And we talked about this whole idea that, that Jesus kind of set this thing into motion when he said, man, what, somebody came to him and said, what is the greatest thing that we can do in life? And he said, let me just lay it out for you. He said, you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. That's the most important thing you do. So basically he said, man, God needs to be number one in your life. And then he said, man, I'm going to establish the number two. The second best thing you can do is you can love your neighbor as yourself. And how many of y'all know the best neighbor you got is the one that's sleeping next to you in bed? And so if you're going to love them as yourself, man, you need to do things for them and you need to serve them before you do anything for anybody else. And, and we got to get those priorities in order. We got to make sure that, that God is in first place in our life and then our spouse is in the second. Then the second week we talked about this whole idea that I promise to always pursue my number two. After we've pursued God, we got to make sure that we're just not out there to get the kill. Guys, especially that we're not just out there. Hey man, we've got the girl. Now we're going to move on to the career. We're going to move on to getting the house. We're going to get move on to getting kids. We got to continue to pursue 
the spouse of our life. And we got to continue to make them a priority in our lives and not put other things in front of them. Continue to keep God one, but continue to pursue them, to continue to put them as the priority, as our number two. Then today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about this vow of, I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. That our, the, the marriage that we have will not be about me, but it'll be about we. Because so many times, what is our relationship about? Me. And so we're going to go back to Genesis 2.24. We've been studying it. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't, you can look in the, our worship guide. You can look up on the, on the screen. You can take out your phone and click the QR code and follow along. It says this, and, and God is speaking here in Genesis chapter, chapter 2. And it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And it says the two will become one flesh. It says these two that are complete opposites, that are two opposite uh, things, will unite and come together and become one flesh. And I love that word, unite. It's, it's translated as equad. Say equad. Okay, say it with like some attitude. Like, you, you, you know how to hock a loogie, right? You gotta, come on, everybody practice, go. Okay, now, now do that and put wad on the end. Wad. That's kind of what it is. And now wipe this spit off the person in front of your head and that you're set. So uh, it's, and what that means if you're taking notes, it means united. It means all together. It means completely joined as one. It's saying, man, this wad will be joined. They will be completely together. And I love the way that Solomon describes it in the book of Ecclesiastes. So he's talking about this idea of, of doing life. And he, and he says, man, if a person is by himself and something, something happens in life and he falls down, how is he supposed to have somebody to help him out if he's all by himself? And then he goes on to say, man, if two people are together with one falls, man, how awesome is it that somebody else can be there to lend them a hand to pick them up? And then he says, man, there's something that's even better than that. And he says in Ecclesiastes 4.12, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And, and I like to picture this in marriage of, of the two people, two opposite people of, of opposite natures that, that are attracted to, another, to one another. They come together and become one. It's, and for example, it would be like Shayla and I coming together. You know, we have two opposite lives, two opposite goals, two opposite ideas of how to do things. And if you've been around us, you would find out that that is 100% completely true, that we are opposite in almost everything that we think about, want to do, want to say, how we say it, what it will be, look like when it gets finished, what it'll, you know, I'm, since she's not in here and I don't see her anywhere, I mean, I'm just telling you, like, I, I grew up doing construction and, uh, and we, when we were building our first house, um, I was inside and I was doing crown molding and, and I, I used to get paid a lot of money to do crown molding growing up as a kid. And I was up there and I was putting, putting up a piece of crown molding and she walks in and she says, TJ, that's not how you do it. I'm like, babe, what are you talking about? Like, you've never touched a saw in your life. She's like, but you don't understand. I can look at that and tell that it's wrong. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because you wanna know why? Because it didn't seem right to her. It wasn't right. She has no clue how to do it. She's never touched an instrument in her life. Her thoughts are not my thoughts. Her ways are not my ways. Her ways make no sense to me. 
Every guy is shaking their head right now. They're not saying anything because they know they're about to get an elbow in the ribs and get some busted ribs. But we know that it's true. We're opposite of one another. And man, when we start, they start thinking something, we're like, man, that isn't the way I would do it. And, and women and guys, guys will do things that make no sense to women at all. Like there is probably a better, easier way to do it. We're just pig-headed and hard-headed and we won't change. And so anyways, off my so the little soapbox there. But uh, so the two will become one. And what it's basically saying is it's given us this amazing picture of marriage. We got two separate ideas. We got two separate ways. And it's saying, man, when you come together, what happens is when you put God and the Holy Spirit in your relationship, and it's like being in a three-legged race. What happens is, is you put my leg next to her leg and you take out a cord. And you wrap it around and you wrap it around. And you make that mug as tight as it can go. You snap it together. And what happens is our thoughts and our dreams, our desires, if we're all going in the same way, we can accomplish so much in life. As long as we're heading in the right direction, as long as we're being united by Christ and pursuing the things that he's put in our hearts, he's put in our lives, man, we can accomplish so much in life. But what happens for a lot of us is, is we say that we're united, but yet we're going our own directions because there's a cord there, but it isn't the thing that's uniting us. It isn't the thing that's guiding us. We're allowing our own hopes and dreams to oppose the other person because they have a different desire. They have a different way of doing things. And what the Bible is saying there is that, is that man, we gotta understand that it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what's best for us as a whole. It's, it's about taking the individual about out of it. And that's why Christ wants to be this cord that unites us and guides us and leads us. And so today what I want to talk about is, is this partnership of relationships and how do we have this covenant partnership and how do we make sure that we're, we're focusing on the we and not the me in relationships. And so I'm gonna, I want to make a statement here that is so very true, but yet is so not evident in our society. And that is that we need to recognize that marriage is a covenant and not a contract. We need to recognize today that marriage is a covenant and not a contract because people all over the world, they treat relationships like they're a contract. They treat the relationship they're in like, man, this is just a piece of paper. This is just a legal agreement. This is just a, uh, you said you would do this and I said I would do this. And as long as we do those things, it's all good. But as soon as that doesn't happen, it's over like that. And we treat our marriage that way. And, and, and the Bible talks a lot about this. And if, if, if we look at it, we would see that God has a lot of wisdom here. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, um, the men were going to God and saying, God, we have not heard your voice. We have not heard you in a long time. And, and, and it was really interesting. And God responds to him and he says, that's because your relationship status is messed up between husbands and wives. And if you want to look at it here in Malachi 2.14, he says, man, I'm not answering your prayers. And he says, and they say, why aren't you answering our prayers, God? And here's what he says. He says, because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your what? Is that your marriage contract? Not the marriage contract, but the marriage covenant. Man, God isn't answering prayers because God isn't doing things in our lives because we've broken this covenant because a lot of us, we think that our marriage is a contract. And what we need to understand is a contract is based on mutual distrust. It's based on mistrust and that's exactly what is a contract is, is, is I'm in as far as you are in. 
If you do me wrong, I can get out, man. There's, there's some boundaries to what's gonna happen in life. And, and I know exactly what this is like. We used to own rental property and, and every time a new renter would come in, you know what I would give him? I would give him a rental contract that basically stipulate, stipulates, you pay me, you get to live here. You, no pay, no live. Pretty simple. And uh, if you break the contract, you wanna know why I gave him a contract? Because I didn't believe that that joker was gonna pay me. And so I wanted to make sure that I had a way to kick them out. On the, same, on the flip side of that, they wanted to make sure that they had a contract that if I didn't fulfill my obligations as an owner, if I didn't make sure the roof was fixed, I didn't make sure that the water worked or the air conditioner was working, that they could break the contract as well because I wasn't fulfilling my end of the bargain. And because it's just a contract, you, you only stay in because of what they'll do for you. And what we do is we approach marriage that way and we say, man, if you do this, then I'll do this. And, and as long as you do this, I'll stay right here. But as soon as you stop, man, this, this, this relationship is over. And that isn't what God was about. That isn't how God was establishing this idea of marriage. He was establishing it as a covenant. And a covenant is way different because a, a covenant is based on this idea that there is a mutual commitment between the two. There is this unending, totally binding contract that it doesn't matter what the other person does. It says, you know what? I'm committed to this no matter what you do, how you fulfill, how you meet my needs. I'm committed to this forever because I made a covenant, not just with, with uh, some friends, not just with some families, but I made a covenant before God that I'm committing to him and, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus first. And because I made a commitment to them, I'm making a commitment to you. No matter what you put into it, from, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, to sickness and death and all that other stuff, whatever other stuff you want to throw in there, man, I'm being committed to this. It's totally binding. There is no back door. A contract always has a back door. It always has a way out. But God says, man, you know what? When you get into a covenant relationship, that back door that we love as divorce is no longer an option. It's no longer a way out for us. And when you get into a covenant, divorce becomes a word that's not even in your vocabulary. In fact, this week I was, I was reading uh, some things and I was reading a, a story about Billy Graham and, and I love Billy Graham. I think he's lived an incredible life. I mean, 94 years old, preached the gospel to more people in this world than probably anybody out there at this point. And um, they were talking to him and they were talking to his wife, Ruth, and, and they were asking, man, what's your marriage been like? And they looked at Ruth and they, and they said, Ruth, have you ever thought about divorcing Billy? And she's like, man, I've never thought, I've never even thought about divorcing Billy but I have thought about murdering him. She's committed. She's committed. She's like, man, we're not gonna end it through divorce, but I'll end it by ending that joker's life. Man, that dude will be done. Because, because the covenant is something that you say, you know what? This is no matter what. No matter what the circumstances are. And so I just wanna talk to you about covenant. What is that word? The word covenant is a Hebrew word called berith, and it means a cutting. It means a binding agreement. It means a blood covenant. It's more than just a contract. It's a blood covenant. And it, it's something that goes way deeper and it applies so much to marriage. And I, I wanna kind of give you an Old Testament kind of history lesson here. And I know that this is kind of weird and funky and gross, but just bear with me. But because in the Old Testament, when, when 
uh, a, uh, when a potential husband and a potential wife would come together, they would come before a priest. And uh, part of the process of being married is that you'd have the husband and your wife and you'd have the priest there and they would have a breath. They would have a cutting instrument. And what they would do is they would take the man's hand and they would take out this cutting instrument and they would slice the guy's hand. Then they take the woman and they do the same thing in her hand and they would put their hands together and blood would be flowing out. And the reason they put their hands together was because the Levitical law talked about the fact that life flows from your blood. And so they thought, man, you know, the very essence of you have this person's singular life and you have this person's singular life and we're gonna take them and we're gonna have their blood flow and we're gonna intermingle, we're gonna connect those two things. And when they would connect their hands and they would tie a rope around their hands together and let their blood intermingle and say, you know what? This is now these two separate lives. They're no longer two separate lives. They have been joined completely together. They are now one. There is a covenant that is in place because now that they're joined together, you can never separate something that's one it's impossible and God established this not just in the ceremony but he established it as part of the covenant of of the relationship of the marriage bed and so we we we've got this all jacked up today because we think man you just go hook up with whoever you want that's that's the name of the game but but God established the the marriage bed to be a, a sacred place a a place for one husband and one wife and 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 what he did is what would happen is is the husband and wife is is they would go and they would consummate their marriage and there would be the shedding of blood and it was to signify the covenant of them coming together and becoming one in fact this is really gross, but the father-in-law would take the, the bed and keep it, you know, the sheets and stuff, so he could signify that there was a covenant between the husband and wife, so they would always be reminded that it was something that they could never separate. That's why the marriage bed was reserved for marriage. It wasn't just reserved for anything, but what happens today in our society is completely different than that. You know, we, we go watch Jerry Springer and we're, Jerry, Jerry, you know, and seeing all this chaos because everybody's been up and in that bed. Because we have this messed up society of what relationships, and we have this messed up concept of what relationships are supposed to look like, and, and, we're, and, we're, and we're doing things that we should never do. In fact, you, can, you watch it all the time. What happens is, is some guy and some girl, they see each other and, and they start dating. And before long, they start having some, some marriage conversations. And it goes a little bit something like this. It goes, the girl typically uh, goes, because her heart is more uh, drawn to it, but her, she'll eventually go, you know what? I just love you so much, my sugar daddy, you know, or whatever she wants to call him. And he's like, pumpkin muffin, I love you too. And uh, they start having these conversations and they start sharing their heart and they start sharing their fears and they start sharing their passions. They start sharing all these deep inner feelings. And what happens is, is one of them sees somebody else of the opposite sex that they're attracted to and what they do to that person? They drop them like it's hot, right? They dump them. And what happens? That person is heartbroken. You wanna know why? Because they're giving away something that's only to be reserved for the marriage covenant, their heart. And if they, if they get really serious about their words, what happens is, is they, they take their relationship a little bit further and they start doing uh, married people things. You know, the, maybe one of them will stay the night at the other one's house and pretty soon somebody's leaving a toothbrush at this house, somebody's got a toothbrush at that house. Pretty soon they've got a drawer. All of a sudden they're doing married things. They're starting to kind of cohabitate together. And, and, and what happens is, is they're doing all those things and, and they eventually break up and they're heartbroken, they're torn apart. 
Because you want to know why? Because they're practicing married things. And when the married things don't work out, when there's, a, when there's some dispute in the relationship, you know what they practice next? Divorce. And they split up and they go their separate ways. They split up their friends and their friends go their separate ways. They split up the rent and they, they, try to co- they try to make all that work and they go on their separate ways. And what happens is, is you might have two, four, eight, ten, twenty-two of those relationships and, and, and you're, 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 ha- you're playing marriage and then, you're pl- and then you're experiencing divorce. And pretty soon the one comes along and you finally, have, there they are, they're amazing, they're wonderful, they're, they're Mr., he's Mr. Wonderful and she's Mrs. Perfect and, and everything is great and you're, you're cohabitating and, and you're living together and you've taken this, this, the real marriage covenant. You said the vows between all of your friends and family and loved ones and people you don't even like because they're married to that person or they're part of that person's family. And, it's, and pretty soon there's some tension in that relationship. And practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. And so you've instilled within yourself, well, when there's trouble, I just quit. And so that marriage ends in divorce because we're practicing things in life before we're ever supposed to get to them. And because we look at our relationships a lot of time as a contract of, well, you do this, then I'll do that. When God never established a contract God never intended for there to be a contract. God established a holy covenant. He talked about the idea that, man, divorce is not an option. Now let me just say this, because I grew up in a divorced home. Uh, My parents are divorced. Uh, I've been through divorce um, as a kid. and, And this is what I know, is that no person set out to end up divorced. In fact, most divorced people, if they could go back and do some things differently, they, if they could say some things differently, they'd be like, man, I would go back and I would totally fix that thing and, and maybe you wouldn't and that's okay. Um, what I wanna do is I wanna go from, from this moment because we can't change the past. That's one thing I've learned in life. We can't change the past. We can only move forward from where we're at here today. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna say, you know what, moving forward and knowing that, that Christ, how he made the marriage as a covenant that, man, when you stand before God and you make a promise to, to love and to hold to death do you part and all that other stuff that you say in that marriage, you make this covenant that you say, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about meeting my needs. It's about meeting the we. It's about what's best for the whole. And when we serve one another, we end up serving Christ as covenant partners. And what I want to do is I just want to kind of unpack how do we become covenant partners? What does that look like? And, and this is what I know is that we could spend the next 10, 20, 30 hours sitting here talking about this, but I want to do it in about 10 minutes. And so uh, I want to look at two foundational truths that, that really establish um, covenant partnership, and they are godly leadership and mutual submission. Godly leadership and mutual submission. I want to talk about mutual submission first. And in Ephesians 5.21, we're just going to look at what the Bible says. And it says this. It says, submit to one another. Now, why do we do that? It says, out of reverence for 
Christ. Man, we submit to one another out of reverence, not for the other person, not for somebody that we, that we would like. We submit to one another out of reverence, out of devotion, out of this love and passion for Jesus Christ. And, and when we submit to, to them because of Christ, man, it takes the the contract aspect out of the equation because the contract is about if you do for me, then I'll do for you. If you meet this need, then I'll meet your needs. It's all about what we can do. It's all about what the other person can do for me. And when we start saying, you know what? I'm not gonna live that way. I'm not gonna do that as that thing because what happened is, is when you're in a contract, you're only bringing half the amount. When you're in a covenant, you're bringing all the amount because you're saying it's not about what you can do. It's about what Christ has already done for me. And what Christ has done for me is way beyond what you could ever do for me because Christ gave it all. He laid his life all on the line. He didn't leave an ounce on the field, man. He left it all out there. And so what I need to do in this relationship is I need to leave it all out on the field for you. And so that means dying to myself a lot of times. And if you've been married, you know you gotta die to yourself a lot. Because it's not about me. It's about we. And as we put Christ in that position of, man, he's in charge, man, we learn to serve each other better. Now, I want to talk about uh, leadership, and I want to talk specifically to to guys, but but before I do that, I, let me just say that, man, Shayla and I are very different. And I think in this, this area of mutual submission, you, you got to understand this, that your spouse has gifts and talents that you don't have. Um, and when you're mutually submitted to one another, it's really easy for, to let them shine. You know, one of the things about Shayla and I is that Shayla has got this gift of like, man, she can just discern and, and see things in people that I just can't see. Like we'll go and we'll meet somebody and that dude will have just hacked up his mom and put her in the fridge. And I'll think like, that guy's a really nice guy. Like I'll totally be, like he, that dude can totally win me over because I like see the best in everybody. And Shayla will be like, something ain't right there. You know, like, she's like, that dude is weird. You know, and, and I'll be like, what are you talking about, babe? He seems normal to me. He's got like blood dripping down his arm and stuff still from, but she just perceives things that I don't perceive. And so when we go into situations and she's like, man, something's not right here. You know what I do? I mutually submit to her because she's much better at that than I am. She's way better at that, you know, than, than I, I don't see those things and she sees those things all the time. So I'm like, you know what? We're gonna go with what you think here because you're much more uh, cognizant of what's happening than I am. I'm just, yeah, I'm a pushover, man. You can, you can sweep everything past me. And, uh, and that's just wise. That's just learning that, man, there's gifts and talents that your spouse brings to the table and that you can utilize those and you can be a part of those and you can submit and say, you know what? You're really good at this. You know what? I hate finances. My wife is much better at finances than I am. It's okay. She can do it. I'll admit it. I suck at it. But you know what? I can get up here and shoot the bowl better than anybody else. I'm full of crap and I know it, man. I will own that junk. And so, man, we, we, we let each other do what we're best at. And uh, some of you guys, even though we're about to talk uh, about some leadership things. Let me just say this. I know that there's some of you guys that are out there um, that when you hear submit to one another because of biblical reference, man, there's everything within you. You, you, you look at your spouse and you have nothing but rebellion in your heart towards them. Because it's always been about you in the relationship. And because it's always been about you, you've never been able to see 
their gifts and talents. You've never been able to see the good things and say, you know what, I'm going to take a step back so they can shine. I'm going to take a step back so that they can do the things that God has for them. Remember, man, we're in a three-legged race. We're in this race, and the more that we submit and we run in the same direction, the better it is for our relationship. Because the better we, we run together, the better that we work together, the better we become we instead of me. And me always causes us to fall. But let's talk a minute here before we go about godly leadership. And I'm just going to let the Bible talk right here because um, people are going to get mad at me, specifically women. And uh, it's just not me. It's, it's, it's Jesus talking. So you can get mad at him, okay? Ephesians 5.22, it says this. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In fact, I, I had one lady, I was doing a, a, mar- a, a wedding. I had a lady come up to me afterwards and she says, so the husband is the head, right? And I was like, right. She's like, so I can be the neck and I can turn that joker wherever I want him to go. And I was like, not exactly. <laughs> Let me go to the next verse for you, okay? He says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I, I know a whole bunch of ladies, they just, they just shut me off because they hate this verse and uh, they just got mad at me. Listen, I didn't, I didn't write that. Um, I, I think the reason why women get so mad at that verse and with good reason is because they have not seen a good display of godly biblical leadership. What they've seen is they've seen uh, a society that has degraded them, downgraded them, looked upon them as though they're not worth as much, they're not capable as much, and, and nothing could be further from the truth, man. Women have been overpaid and stepped over and for a long, long time. And you know what? It's jacked up. In fact, most women can do a better job than most guys can in a lot of things. Maybe not professional football, but everything else besides that. And when women hear this verse, you know, they've seen guys that have manipulated them, abused it, used it to tear them down rather than build them up. The Word of God. And so every time they hear this, with good reason, they're like, man, I ain't for that. That is messed up. And I'm sorry that you've had that experience. Then on the flip side, there's some ladies that have out there that have experienced the opposite. They've experienced this super passive guy who doesn't make a decision on anything, who sits around sucking his thumb, playing video games 12 hours a day, and eats Doritos who's never made a decision in his life and is constantly waiting for his lady to choose, you know, what he's going to wear today and should he brush his teeth or wipe his butt. And, and, and that's not healthy either. God that's abdicated his leadership. And so I know ladies that are like, there ain't no way I'm submitting to a dude that, that can't choose anything for himself. So let me just acknowledge that because, I mean, that, those, are, those are valid things. 
But let me talk to the guys here and, and just for a, a moment and just tell you, man, that God has called you and ordained you to lead your family. Now, I know some of you are like, does that mean I've got to make all the decisions? No. That isn't, that isn't leadership. If you're making all the decisions, that's a dictatorship. And God didn't ordain that. God ordained you to lead your home. And he, he gave an example as Christ. And he lays it out as Christ lived his life. And, and you think about that. You think about it as it relates to this church, man. Christ is the head of this church. He's put me in a position to, to help lead and guide this church as, as the pastor. But you know what, man? We're a growing church, getting ready to, to, to do a second campus. We're going to have multiple campuses. We have multiple staff members. We have hundreds of volunteers. Can you imagine if every decision in this church had to be decided by me? I can't imagine if the people in hospitality were like, Pastor TJ, listen, listen, we got a big decision. Do we use Folgers or Starbucks this week as coffee? Of course, we're going to use Starbucks, but I mean... Like, seriously, what would our church look like? It would be a mess. It would be jacked up. You know what God has called me to do in our church? He's called me to point. He's called me to point. It's a lot like Babe Ruth in 1932. Game three of the World Series, he walks up to the plate. And he leads his team. He points. He points to center field. And basically says, you know what? We're going to win this game. He ends up helping by hitting a home run. But he led. Husbands, you know what you need to do? You need to point. This is where we're going as a family. This way. This is what we value as a family. This is what we believe in as a family. And you need to start pointing. Not dictating every decision, but saying, man, these are some, some, some parameters that we're going for. Man, these are the things that, that we stand for. And here's the deal. The families that don't, the Bible is very clear on what happens. It says in Proverbs, where there is no vision, where there is no pointing, the people perish. You want to know why a lot of relationships are failing today? Because they got no vision. They have no direction because no one is leading. And so what I want to encourage you to do is, man, come up with a blueprint for your marriage. Not saying, this is who we're going to be. Sit down with your spouse and say, hey, babe. Hey, honey. Hey, sugar plum. Whatever you call them. And say, man, what do we want this to look like? What is the direction that we want to go? I remember when Shayla and I did this right as we were getting married at 21 years old. We sat down and we said, man, let's, let's talk about some values that we want to have that are going to dictate the rest of our life. They're so clear to me today as they were that day. I, I remember the first one is, is our calling, man. Our calling is always going to be first and foremost in our lives. That's, that's what God has called us to, man, that, that no matter what he says, we're going to do it. If that means we've got to move, if that means we've got to do this, if that means we've got to sacrifice, we're going to do whatever it takes to follow the vision that God has for our lives. And how he wants to have us impact the world. And we're going to, man, we're going to sacrifice for that. We're going to do whatever it takes. Another one was, is, is man, we're going to be generous. 
And so that means for us that, that 10% is the bottom line. That's the bare minimum we're ever going to live by. And so we, we started there and we've ramped up. You know what? And, and this year we're 21, 22% of our income because we believe that God called us to live generously. And we said we're going to sacrifice having tangible things that everybody else has and every new thing and every coolest car and every latest gadget, even though I want all that crap. We're going to sacrifice because that's what God has called us to. He's not called everybody to do that. He's called us to. You know, we, we, we made a thing that we said, man, our, our, our relationship is more important than anything else. And so, man, our date night, our date time, whether that's a breakfast, whether that's a lunch, whether that's a dinner, whether that's some something, something, you know, whatever it may be. We learned about that last week. That's precious. I don't, I don't care what your emergency is in that moment. My marriage is more important. Because what is your emergency in that moment? It's... To, it's taking you a while. You know what? I want to make sure that my marriage is there tomorrow. Your emergency didn't happen in a moment. It'll be there in five minutes. And we'll solve it then. But not at the expense of my relationship. And we just set those things into play. And we said, you know what? These are going to be non-negotiables. And, and every time we get to a place, we point back to them. I said, man, we're running after a calling God has in our lives. Man, we're running to be generous people. So what is God calling us to? Man, we're running towards one another. So what do we need to be doing in our relationship? And you know what? I don't make 75% of those decisions. Shayla does. Some of you guys are saying, but, but TJ, you don't understand. I've, I've been pointing, but she won't lead. And I would just tell you, man, that's a, that's a chump statement. You want to know why she won't lead or she won't follow is because you haven't been leading in life. You might be saying some things, but is your life and your actions reflecting them? Because we can tell our spouse what to do, but if our actions aren't following it, it does not really matter. I, I, some guy said, man, if I was, man, if I had Shayla as a wife, man, I'd, I would be able to lead. I was like, no, you wouldn't, bro. My wife would eat you alive. She's like a man-eater. You know, she just, you want to know why she follows me? Because I've been leading and serving her for years. And it's because I've built that trust that she now will do that. You know, some of you are like, but, well, she won't honor and respect me. Give her something to honor and respect, man. Be the man that, that she needs. Be the man that's out there praying first. Be the man that's doing a devotion with your family first. Be the man that's, that's standing in the gap. Be the man that's leading your family on the way to church. Be that man, and you'll find that she'll be the woman that you've always desired. But it starts with us. It starts with us. Do what's in you. God put you in to lead Leadership starts with action. You start doing action. Mutual submission. Godly leadership will follow. And she will follow right along with you. A couple of years ago, almost actually almost 12 years ago, I did one of my first marriages, and it was for my friends Todd and Alicia. And, um, and I'm one of those people that if, if you were to walk up and look at my notes, I, I'll type out almost every single thing word for word because I'm anal. And, um, and I want to know everything that I'm going to say before I say it, and then I try to memorize it. And uh, so I was getting ready to do this first, one of the first uh, marriages that I've ever done. And, and so I typed out this entire 
uh, message and ceremony, and, and, I, and I use the same verse in Ephesians in, in, in almost every single marriage that I do. And, and, um, and I typed it out and I said this, the two will be united to become one flesh. But instead of typing that, I'd made this major, major typo. And instead of putting united in there, I put untied in there. And my spell checker didn't pick it up because it's still a word. Don't you hate spell checker that doesn't pick up what you mean with something? And uh, that was a bad TJ, bad TJ. Don't do that. And uh, after that wedding, I, I got it right, but I was looking through there and I was just going over it. And I realized, oh my gosh. Same letters, just one letter out of place. You know what letter was out of place? The I. And when we get the I out of place in our relationship, instead of being united, we become untied. And God today is trying to get you to stop looking at your marriage and saying, well, it's their fault, it's their fault, it's, it's what they haven't done, it's what she hasn't done, it's what he hasn't done. And start looking at yourself and saying, I've got to get the me out of here and focus on the we. What I can do for us. Not what I can do for myself, but what can I do for us? And watch God do something miraculous. Mutual submission and godly leadership. Now I know there's, there's some singles out there and they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to, to find the one? I don't have anybody. Let me just tell you something. I'm going to give you the best piece of advice you could ever get. Man, you want to you wanna find the perfect somebody? You want to find the one that you've always been looking for? This is what you do. And it's, it's found in a verse in, in Psalms 34.3. Here's what you do. You pursue God with everything you got. You run as hard and as fast as you can after God. And when you're running as hard and as fast as you can after God... You look to the left and you look to the right. And you look and you find somebody of the opposite sex that's good looking, that's funny, that you like. It's running just as hard right next to you and you grab their hand. And you say, glorify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Don't be stopping and looking behind you. Don't be grabbing the butt of the person ahead of you. Don't be distracting them like that. Grab the person next to you. Do it together. For those of you that are struggling in your marriage, you've been untied, man, go home today and grab the hand of that person and say, man, let's, let's pray because, man, I want to glorify the Lord. Let's do it together. Let's glorify Him together. Let's exalt His name together. And watch God turn the me show into the we show and establish his covenant like never before. Let's pray. This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv.